Chat with Traders is sponsored by Trade the Pool. Are concerns about limited buying power, insufficient capital, or fear of losing your own money preventing you from advancing your trading capabilities? Trade the Pool is an online stock trading prop firm that offers funding for stock traders. Demonstrate your skills, trade their capital, and keep your profits. You can engage in intraday trading and now swing trading on Trade the Pool with any U.S. stock or ETF. The procedure is straightforward. Pay an evaluation fee, successfully complete the evaluation, and get funded. Visit tradethepool.com forward slash chat to learn more. You've seen the headlines. Bonds are making a comeback. But if you've ever tried to invest in bonds, you know what a clunky, complicated, broken experience it can be. That's why at Public, they took fixed income and fixed it. Now you can find, evaluate, and buy thousands of bonds with an investing experience designed this century. Add fixed income to your portfolio with corporate, treasury, and municipal bonds. Go to public.com forward slash bonds podcast to get started. This podcast is sponsored by Public. Full disclosures can be found at public.com forward slash bonds. Markets, speculation, and risk. This is the Chat with Traders podcast, hosted by Aaron Fifield. Hey friends, welcome to episode 188 of Chat with Traders podcast. This episode, uh, it's exactly what it says on the tin. It's a compilation episode, the best of risk management. I've sifted through interviews that I've done over the past few years and compiled some of the best bits pertaining to risk management. Once I got done though, I realized I had too many bits for one episode, so I've split it into two parts. This of course is part one, and part two will follow on the next episode. One of the reasons for doing this episode is to highlight some interviews from the past which you may have missed. So before each snippet, you'll hear me name the guest with a very brief description and the episode number. To easily get to any one of these episodes on the Chat with Traders website, simply punch in chatwithtraders.com slash the episode number. Or you can find the link in the show notes of this episode at chatwithtraders.com slash 188. First up is Andy Kirshner with a clip taken from episode 128. Andy's an active stock trader and the founder of Kirshner Trading Group, a proprietary trading firm with offices in Austin, Texas and Midtown Manhattan big mistakes that I've made. The biggest ones that I typically make, one of my strengths is that I can hold lots of pain um, and I can hold winners for a long time. It's also my biggest weakness and which is, you know, a lot of times I'll be up, I might get up 20% on a swing trade or something like that and not, it hasn't quite hit my targets. I don't have a, sometimes if I'm not a little bit more structured on, hey, how I need to capture profits, or if it doesn't work out exactly as I intend, how do I work my way out of this trade? And so sometimes I will hold on too long, give things, let them come back too far. And so, you know, a couple of years ago, I turned a couple million dollar trade into a couple million dollar loss, you know, across a, a number of different stocks. Uh, and that hurts, and it just gets your psychology all messed up. And anyway, I still have troubles with that from time to time and I just have to journal about it and make sure that I'm a little bit more focused on making sure I have a 
a real structure and if things aren't going exactly as I need to, how am I going to scale down? Right. So that ability to take a lot of pain on positions can be a positive and a disadvantage. I mean, is that something you have always been able to do or is that something that's you've been able to get better at or has become more acceptable to you over time? I think I'm all, I've always been overconfident and the numbers, big numbers don't bother me. So you grow into it. And just recently this, this year, I'm sitting next to a really good trader that's traded really big. And so I'm trading a lot bigger because of it. Um, and so that I'm having to change my psychology around and also tactics around how I'm trying to capture trades and, you know, how do you handle stops when you're moving lots more shares and those types of things. How important do you think it is to, to have that skill of being able to take, you know, a bit of heat on a position and withhold the pain when a, when a position's moving against you? Like, I feel like that this is probably a, quite a key element to your success as a trader. Am I right? You know, I don't, I don't know if it is or isn't. Um, I think it's one part of it. I mean, I think it's, you know, it's, it's more helpful to kind of trade according to your psychology. If you, if you have something that really works well for you and you can repeat it lots of times, then you should focus on that and, you know, make sure that, you know, find an edge and really make sure that it works for you and then see how big you can do it without affecting the way that you trade. You know, the best traders are the ones that can trade 50,000 shares or 100,000 shares like they trade 1,000 shares and not change their, not change their decision-making process for the most part. If you're going to sit in the seat all day, you might as well be doing some, some size. So even when you get into a position, how do you determine when you're going to get out and when you're actually going to cut your losses? Like, do you have a predetermined point or do you kind of feel it out as you go? Usually now I am laddering into positions and laddering out of positions and I get more of a feel for how things are going to happen. But I usually am trying to, you know, get in and say, okay, I'm going to risk a point, point and a half on this trade, you know, kind of worst case. And I think I can make three and a half or four, you know, and what are my odds? You know, I probably have a 50-50 chance on something like that. Um, sometimes you may add into something and then it feels like it's really got some support in here. So I may triple my size and go, well, I'm only going to risk another 30 cents on this particular name from this spot on triple the size. But the risk reward just went from, you know, since it's gone against me, but it seems to be having some support. My risk reward is now not one to three or three to one. It's more like 10 to one. And so I don't mind getting in a lot bigger right here, even though my odds are a little bit less because it hasn't worked for me thus far. But I still have, I mean, the chances of the trade working are less. You know, it may only be a 30% chance that it works. But if it does, it's going to be a 10 to 1 winner. And so I, I modify my behavior around that at times. Now, I just want to take a step back to a comment you made to a couple questions ago. You know, when I said that your ability to be able to take a lot of pain on a position is probably been a key element to your success. Um, and you weren't so sure if it is. Do you think the traders who maybe have a lower risk tolerance make less money though? No, not necessarily. Not at all. Um, 
there's lots of different styles um, that work for people. Some people are scalpers. Some people are swing traders. Um, some people only like to do things that are set up where they're going to win, you know, 70 or 80 percent of the time. So you can be very successful and you can accomplish whatever your goals are um, in lots of different ways. Um, you can be a you know, computer genius and write some models uh, like we've got a bunch of guys here doing quantitatively. So there's, you know, I, I asked somebody once uh, who ran a really, really big firm, hundreds of traders, said, who's your best trader? And, and you know, he looked at me and said, I, I don't have a best trader. You know, the best trader in what? You know, the best trader that's, you know, the best short seller in this in this particular market, the best uh, semiconductor trader, the best swing trader, the best. And so matching up your psychology with the types of trading that you're willing to do and the types of risk that you're willing to take makes a big difference. And, you know, it really does help to dis- discover what that is. And then you have to really make sure you have all the right habits around it too. Are you journaling? Are you viewing? Are you preparing? You know, I could, I could tell you my exact strategy today when you can tell me yours and unless I did all the work around it, um, I'd be only 20% of as good as you are at it. And probably the same thing would go for you. So it's much less about the strategy and much more about are you doing all the right habits in preparation, journaling, review, using the technology, preparedness. Next up, trading legend and market wizard Blair Hull on episode 85. Blair was a serious blackjack player during the 70s and in 1985 he founded options trading firm Hull Trading. In 99, Goldman Sachs acquired Hull Trading for slightly more than half a billion dollars. Okay, and if you had to summarize it for us, what ways did, did blackjack help you to prepare for trading? And why were you, actually you kind of answered that, I was going to ask you, why were you attracted to options markets over other types of markets? Well, the um, blackjack uh, in any kind of a game, any kind of a game, whether it's uh, gambling or investing or whatever you call it, there are two things you need. You need an advantage and then you need to stay in the game. And what Blackjack taught me is that I had to bet in proportion to my bankroll. Uh, I had to bet in proportion to my advantage. If I had a, a big advantage, I could bet more money, but never more than one-fiftieth of my bankroll. That was So if I had $100, I could never bet more than $2. So, if, so that's a pretty good rule. You think about it, you're going to go to the casino and you have uh, $10,000, the most you can bet is $200 uh, or you will ruin, you, you will risk ruin. You can, you risk losing all your money. So when you, when you're playing a game, whether it be trading or blackjack and you lose half your money, you have to cut your bets in half. And most people would try to go, they'd try to get even, but you have to do the opposite. So I'd say staying in the game was the most important thing that I learned. In fact, I, uh, you mentioned CBOE. I actually started on the Pacific Stock Exchange where I leased a seat for $500 a month. Um, but I would go around and I'd have a, there would be an option that would be, the, all the public were going after this option. It was, you know, I had it worth according to my model of say 25 cents and it was selling for a dollar. And so I had sold maybe 200 of these options and 
I'd run around. And I'd say, "Oh, that's such a juicy bet," and then I'd say, "I'd look at I'd look at the price again. Oh, I got to sell some more of those." And then I'd say, "I've already have that bet on the table. I could I envisioned a, a, a stack of chips, <laughs> and so I couldn't. So uh, I wouldn't overbet. And so overbetting is the thing that kills you in any kind of game. You can have a winning strategy, but because of the way in which you wager." you can almost uh, be guaranteed to go broke. Well, that's a, it's important as to whether you have an advantage, how much you bet is as important of getting as getting an advantage. This next snippet is from episode 82, How to Become the Trader You Wish You Were with Morad, aka Futures Trader 71. Do you have any any tips and pointers for how to properly manage periods of drawdown or periods of losing trades where you're sort of on a run of losers and you just really feel like nothing can go right. I know you kind of hit on it there with, you know, not getting attached to the outcome, but how should a trader properly manage a drawdown? And and maybe if you could touch on the risk management aspect of that as well. Okay. That's a really big part of staying in the game. So I could tell you in my career, I've I've gone through rough patches every single year that I've been a trader. Um, if anybody has ever told you that they come in and they make huge money every day of the year, every year, then you'll want to check that tr- trader's credentials. The fact is most of the money is made in a short period of time, a short segment of the year. The rest of the year is simply staying a foot with the market so that when that opportunity comes to push, for example, the China correction in August, you know, that big drop, you had to you had to have been in the market and consistently in the market and following the same routine all the time to be able to participate in that in any meaningful way. And part of the process of having, you know, a few short weeks of really, really good good trades, good returns, uh, a lot of weeks of just grinding along, kind of making a living just like everybody else. But then there's also that rough patch. We call it the rough patch. And I've had rough patches that have lasted anywhere from two weeks to 10 weeks. And they come and go with time. And most of the time, they simply force me to go back to you know, go back to stage three of, of competence, what we, what we would call conscious competence. In other words, consciously, deliberately, focusedly following some sort of a plan or our original plan or a modified plan to suit the current market conditions. And so the way to manage rough patches is to have an understanding of when one has occurred. And the way you know one has occurred is to is to look at the streaks that you have. And this is, again, the conversation is always going to go back to really good record keeping. I mean, you're running a business. Just imagine you're running a bakery or an auto dealership or something. It would be crazy to think that you're selling something or you're running a business without some really accurate bookkeeping. Trading is a business and bookkeeping is a huge part of this business. And so you can always go back and understand that Okay, I I recognize a losing streak as, for me, a losing streak is four consecutive down days in a row. 
And I'm, I'm speaking about consecutive down days where I'm actually doing what I'm supposed to do as opposed to going off the handle and starting to fight the market or something. Those don't count as consecutive down days. It just counts as me being emotional and stupid, which means I need time off. And that's what I force myself to do is just to detach, just move away. But if I have four down days and I'm following my plan, then it tells me that something has dramatically changed. And so my response to that is to, and I'll go into how I'm managing risk through this process, my response to that is to simply take the following day off. The probability of being down four days in a row is what, 0.5, which is a 50% probability of losing, to the power of four. So there's a six and a quarter percent chance that I would have four losing days in a row. So it's like flipping heads four times in a row. So it's 0.5 to the power of four or 6.25%. I know that for me to hit that kind of probability, that's almost two sigma or the second standard deviation. I, I, wait, I'll, I'll back off the statistics a little bit. But for me to hit that, it's pretty hard for me to hit three down days in a row. And that's down days mean I'm down in my PL plus my cost plus my daily fixed costs, rent, software, all that stuff broken down on a daily basis. The fifth day, I'm off. I'm I'm not trading the fifth day. The fifth day is me watching the market, doing the homework and everything, watching the market, and I'm spending the day just going through trades from the past, just running through what has happened, uh, pulling up higher time frame charts and really trying to see, the goal is to see, has something changed dramatically enough in the market to tell me that something's wrong? In fact, last week was one of these weeks where the market was dramatically unusual. We had several days where the market gapped up in a row gapped up and never closed the gap and it just continued in the same direction. Uh, that's unusual behavior. I didn't I didn't have a drawdown during that behavior, during that streak, but it tells me that something, hey, be careful, something has changed. How do I manage the losses or the risk intraday? I use a a, a regressive risk strategy. And so let's say just for relevance sake, let's say that I generally trade 10 lots in the ES, okay? And if I start out the day and I'm trading 10 lots and I take a trade and I take a loss and my loss, my daily loss limit, let's say is $2,000 or $3,000, let's call it $3,000 per day. Okay, which means that my average update needs to be around $3,000 per day for me to stay in business in the long term. If I reach uh, a third of the way down, then I am cutting my size to six contracts. If I get halfway to $3,000 down, then I'm only trading five. If I get three quarters of the way down, then I'm trading two. And I continue to trade two contracts until I hit that limit. And it's very rare that I hit that loss limit, the daily loss limit. But I want to hit my daily loss limit with the minimum size possible. Now, that's not possible if you're trading one contract 
um, you know, in the futures or a small share share size uh, in in equities. But my goal is not to make back the fifteen hundred dollars that I've lost this morning, or the twenty five hundred dollars or whatever. That's not my goal. My focus is not the P and L. It really isn't. It took a, it took me a long time to actually be able to. To, to accomplish that. But my goal is to find my alignment with the market. I'm going to repeat that. My goal is not to make the money back. My goal is to find my alignment with the market. In other words, to get in the zone and get in gear with the market. To find that wave, to be able to f- recognize that wave that's coming and to be able to paddle my surfboard on top of it and to to finally stand and ride that wave back to shore. That's my goal. And I'm not going to be able to do that by insisting on trading 10 lots and 10 lots and 10 lots and taking losses and then, boom, five losses, five trades on a 10 lot and I'm out $3,000 and I have to stop for the day. That's not going to help me. What I want to do is hit that $3,000 loss limit with my smallest size possible because if I can't, can't accomplish that with two contracts to where I can find my alignment and start building my account back up with a series of really good positive trades, then I'm not putting in, I'm not giving myself enough sample size or enough samples of trades to be able to find that alignment. So imagine the opposite. Imagine if you, ha- you traded 10 lots and you have a $3,000 limit for the day before you have to stop for the day. Imagine if I go halfway through and I lose $1,500 and then all of a sudden I put on a 20-lot trade and that 20-lot trade wipes away the rest of the $1,500. Okay? So out of the $3,000, I have gotten... I was able to participate in the market twice with two trades. Two trades is not nearly enough to show me that my something's wrong or my plan doesn't have an edge. My goal is to maximize it. If I'm going to if I'm going to give away $3,000, I need to do it with a large as large number of trades as possible because what happens is eventually it I start to find what the market is looking to do I start to find alignment and as I cross if I get down from 0 to 1500 to 2500 to 2800 dollars and all of a sudden I find myself from 2800 dollars down on two contracts I start to come up to 2000 dollars okay I'm back to four contracts I get to down $1,500, I'm up to six contracts or five contracts. Now I have alignment, and now I can start building that position back up. I have the confidence to push those trades or to take the trades that are paying off. I found the edge again, and I'm building back up. And to me, every other way I've tried for myself and my traders has not worked. I've had traders use a constant, you know, doesn't matter how far you're down, just keep trading the same size. Boop, 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 boop. And most of the time, they just, they just limit out for the day and you know the account's locked and they're done for the day. What I do is I, I regress. I, I look for a regression in, in the amount of, I'm trading and my goal is to create as many opportunities to read the market, to trade the market and read the market as possible.
And I know that most people don't do that. But that, if, if I hit three days in a row on limits using that method, something is dramatically going wrong. It really is. And if you're trading one or two lots, just start out with your two lots halfway to your limit. Let's say your limit's you know, $600. You've lost $300 on your two lots. Switch to one lots and get really picky about your trades. Just find the trades that you are most confident in that you have the highest probabilities on and stake your one lot on that. And it should give you about four trades before you lose the entire amount. What you don't want to do is take your two lot trade, lose $600 on one trade for the day. And that is it. That is a very binary way to lose money. Uh, and my intent always in trading is to get the most, to make the market work as hard as possible to take my money away if it will take my money away. And it often does. Uh, but I want to do it on as many trades as possible. I want to do it fighting um, not the market, but I want to do it fighting the probabilities, fighting the negative probability, finding that positive probability, the alignment with the market. I hope that makes sense. Next, from episode 122, Doug Sifu, the co-founder and CEO of Virtue Financial, also the co-owner of NHL team Florida Panthers. Virtue, without question, is one of today's most dominant electronic market-making firms, trading millions of times every day across hundreds of markets. How you describe it as a scale business, I think that's very cool. And, and one of the reasons you're able to do that is because you have very good risk controls and your ability to manage risk. On the counter to that, what are some of the what are the sort of potential risks a firm like Virtue could be vulnerable to? Well, look, I mean, there's you know, obviously we we can't believe our own BS, right? There, we're connected to a lot of different venues around the world. I don't want to insult anybody, but we're, we're subject to the lowest common denominator of technology in the world, right? The trading world. And so when we put out, we put out bids and offers, that's real risk, right? I mean, we, we trade a lot, 4 million times a day. You can only imagine how many orders we're putting out there, right? It's multiples of that, many, many, many multiples of that. And so we have to be very cognizant of the acknowledgement, if you will, and the management of those orders in a way that is that is seamless. And human beings have to do that. You cannot rely on you know technology alone to do that because a human's got to react and say, "Hey, we put out this order. We haven't we haven't seen it." Or, on the contrary, you can have a situation where you know your algorithm is screwing up. It keeps it's mispriced something. It keeps sending an order on one side of the book. You know, it's lost a lot of money. It's made too much money. It's not designed to make a lot of money. Maybe it's you know missed mispriced a spread. And so we're very cognizant of that, and we've sacrificed, uh, you know, latency by having a lot of pre-trade risk controls. But we also have a lot of what I would say are real-time post-trade risk controls, where we're doing real-time, you know, house versus street reconciliations to manage that risk. Again, I come back to when you have a singular mission, you know, posting bids and offers. When you have a single platform, if you will, a single engine that is multi-asset class, multi-currency, which Virtu is. When you don't have pods, uh, you don't have you know trading pods. It's really just one open environment where everybody kind of collaborates and sees you know kind of where what the firm is trading and what the reaction times are and whatnot. 
you know, that will mitigate the risk. At the end of the day, though, look, you know, we you know, we can't believe our own press clippings, right? We spend a lot of time and a lot of money always trying to improve. And, you know, hubris is a horrible, horrible vice. And so we always live by the credo that there but the grace of God go I. So risk controls are really, really important here. And when you own and operate and manage a very large integrated technology firm like we all do, you know, we have to be really vigilant uh, to ensure that, you know, we don't have material losses. Are you a developing or seasoned day trader who trades the U.S. markets? Is the only thing stopping you from getting to the next level is having enough capital to trade? Trade the Pool is a unique online stock trading prop firm that funds stock traders worldwide. Not having to risk your own capital can help you focus on other things like making better decisions on your trades. There's no PDT rules to worry about. You got more than 12,000 stocks and ETFs to trade, long or short, and professional tools at your side. How you get funded is you show them your skills through a straightforward evaluation process. Once you pass the evaluation, you get funded and trade with their pool of money and split the profits. Don't let the lack of buying power, capital, or fear of losing your own money prevent you from taking your trading to the next level. Visit tradethepool.com slash chat to learn more. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. In this next bit, Saul Knapp from episode 76. Saul is a spread trader and former risk manager who would oversee approximately 120 futures traders at a London trading firm. Were there any specific risk parameters or rules that you would not budge on in order to protect the firm's capital and, of course, the trader? Yeah, normally it was stops. I used to like to run almost like a traffic light system. So if a trader would agree a predetermined size that he could trade and the maximum he could have on, it didn't mean he had to trade that maximum all the time. But if the need be, he could trade up to an agreed size. Um, but if he had, let's say, for example, a... Uh, this is called a thousand pounds stop loss for the day. If he got to say 400 pounds down, I would approach him or Skype him or normally he was in the office. So I'd go and see him and just say, look, you know, you're 40% of your way towards your stop. Why don't you take it easy for a bit? Maybe cut your size, just get a little bit back. So that would be not the first warning, but that would be the first point of contact. And then if he, if he got into a bit more trouble, maybe sort of 650, 700 pounds down, I'd go over to him, I'd suggest a break, get out of your positions, pull your orders, clear your head for a little bit, and definitely cut your size now until you get it back, 50% of your money back. And then if they got to their stop on the day, then that was pretty much nailed on. The only time I would ever budge on it is if it was a really absurd market move where something unbelievable would happen and they just got caught instantly on a blip and they've got stops out, I may let them trade again after they had a little break on reduced size and with a really tight stop for the rest of the day. But a lot of the time, the guys made that back. Coming up now is an excerpt from Dan Shapiro on episode 66. Dan's an equities guy. He mostly trades high beta names. 
Nowadays, he just trades for himself, though he came up as a New York City prop trader. And fun fact, he funded his first trading account by borrowing money from a loan shark. At the end of the day, or however often you do this, how do you reflect on your trades and review or judge your performance? That's a good question. I, I do it once a month. Um, I, I look at my sheets once a month. Okay. Um, I fully expect, and, and I want to, I want to make this, I, I, I see this all the time on, on social media. Stay humble, right? You hear that all the time? Stay humble, put your head down, smile and stay humble. Okay. Cause the market will humble you. That's all true. Okay. Here's, here's, here's something that I completely disagree with. Okay. I think you have to be a good person in life. Okay. I think you have to be a humble person in life. I think when you're a trader, you have to have a God complex. You have to believe that you can walk on water. You believe that the person on the other side of the trade, I will bankrupt your whole lifeline. Okay. If you're trading improperly. Okay. And I have no problem taking the food out of your kids' mouths. Okay. That's on the trading aspect. I believe I'm a good guy. I'm a family man. I love my kids. I'm pretty, pretty good in my community. Okay. I'm a very nice person. But in trading, you got to be Kobe Bryant. You got to be, you know, you got to be Michael Jordan. You have to be a killer. Okay. You have to be the absolute killer. So when I'm looking at my trading, I expect every single trade that I put on, I'm going to make money. Okay. I'm going to make money on every single trade. Obviously, does that happen? Of course not. But you have to believe that. So what I do is every single month, at the end of the month, I'll look at my sheets and I'll look at the days and I say to myself, well, what happened that day? Right. And I'll look at the trades and I'll go back on the charts and try to figure things out. And I don't look at the, the way I trade, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing on a daily basis, on a weekly basis. I go through my sheets once a month, but I do truly believe as long as you don't prostitute your process and I don't care what your process is. You could be trading, you know, credit default swaps. You could be trading uh, E-mini, whatever it is, whatever your trading is. I believe that you will have periods of dullness, right? You'll have periods of, you'll go on a monster run and you'll have periods that, you know what, you can't get out of your own way. It's called the buzzsaw. Every single trader, for the exception of social media, every single trader that puts on risk, okay, is going to run into a buzzsaw. It's inevitable. The more screen time you get, okay, the more screen time you have and the more, you know, more hands that the market gives you, eventually you're going to run into a buzzsaw. There's been days, and I swear like the, the days long, Every single thing that I've done for that one day, whatever random day it is throughout my career, it's been wrong. I buy the stock at the top of the channel, I get hit with a reload seller. I short the stock at the bottom of the channel, I get hit with a reload buyer. There's nothing I can do to make money that day, right? And I shake it off. There's nothing you can do because, again, sometimes you'll get that 2-5 offsuit and there's no way you can play that hand. The only thing different about that day is instead of me keep on compounding the problem and saying to myself, well, I'm only down X. But you know what? X could turn into X, Y, Z. So you don't want to turn a Band-Aid, right? You don't want to turn a paper cut into a severed head. So what I do every single month, I want to make sure, yes, my losing days, I'll have losing days. But I want to make sure, and this is where they're kind of the responsibility kicks in. I want to make sure I didn't take that Band-Aid, right? That Band-Aid with all these paper cuts and turn it into a severed head. So if I see a number, okay, if I see a number that jumps out me on my sheets, I know there was something wrong that day. Whether it was something I was holding overnight, you know, obviously there's bad news that comes out all the time. Your stock could get downgraded, FDA. I try not to hold uh, you know, uh, biotechs overnight, but you know, you never know what comes out overnight. Like a couple of years ago, I was long 
uh, uh, Intrepid Potash, IPI, and some stupid news came out of the whole sector. The whole group was down 25% the next day. Okay, it's part of the business. So that kind of day would obviously stand out for me. But most important thing, what I do to kind of look back at a trading month, I say to myself, well, if I made money 18 out of 22 days, 19 out of 22 days, whatever the number is, I want to make sure the days that I didn't make money, okay, or caught a buzzsaw, okay, because again, every single trader, no matter who you are, will catch that buzzsaw. I want to make sure first and foremost that again, I can make back that day, whether it's the next trade, next two trades, the next day. I just don't want to make sure I put myself in a situation being stubborn or pigheaded or just being just an idiot. Okay. Because again, Meyer Offman used to tell me all the time, the greatest thing you could do is don't trade like a putz. That's it. Don't trade like a putz. The greatest advice he ever gave me, don't trade like a putz. So as long as I never traded like a putz and those numbers that are down days are manageable, I'm fine with it because, again, that's the cost of doing business. There's not, you can't escape. There's nothing you can do. So I try to make sure those days don't jump off the page. I want to make sure those numbers are not exaggerated to what I normally take on my days to the downside. I try to correct it if there possibly is. If there's just one of those days that, you know what, ish happens, right? We say it all the time, ish happens, right? If it's one of those ish happens days, then you know what, I'm fine with it. Rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat, go into the next month, short memory. It's just part of the cost of doing business. Next trade, next trade, next trade. Okay, Dan. So while we're on this subject, let's move a little deeper into risk management and position sizing. There were a few questions that actually came through on Twitter about this. Um, so can you talk to us about how you actually measure the size of your positions? Well, let me say this. I, I want to actually break this down because it's different how I do it. I've been doing this for 16 years. Okay. I, I, let, me, let me tell you what the, the advice I give to new traders. Okay. Number one, most new traders, again, as we all know, are, are undercapitalized. Okay. And there's a whole theory out there. So many different ways, uh, ways of, of kind of doing risk management. This is what I tell my guys. This is what, when I was in the prop business, this is what I used to tell all my traders. If your account size is $25,000, okay, if your account size is $25,000, the maximum, maximum fixed risk on every single trade should be 1%, right? 1%. That should be your maximum risk. Now, here's where things get very, very good for you, okay? Here's where it gets good for you. So let's just say, for example, a stock closes, and again, goes back to the 500 charts previous night to get to your, uh, to get to your homework for the next day. So let's say Solar City you know, closed at 24, you know, 2475, right? 2475. Um, the high for that day was 25 bucks. So I know going into the next trading day, if it takes out 25 bucks, I want to be long the stock. Okay. So let's say you have a $25,000 account, right? 1% of $25,000 is 250 bucks, correct? So that is your max risk. That is your max risk. So, you know, going into the trade, okay, how many shares, what's the biggest bang for my buck that I could put on, still have a fixed cost of you know, $250, okay, and get the biggest bang to the upside if the stock works. So you say to yourself, well, I'm buying the stock at 25, stock closed the previous day at 24.75. So if the stock fails, right, stock fails, my maximum pain is $250, 25 cents. So I'm buying a thousand shares, right? So if the stock goes, goes up a dollar, goes up $2, you're risking $250 to make a thousand, 2000, et cetera. For example, if you buy a $5 stock, right? A $5 stock, stock closed at 495, 
You're buying the stock at five. You know you have a five cent RICS max. You know your fixed rate, your fixed cost is $250. So you say to yourself, how many shares can I maximize? What again, the biggest max pain is 1% of my account, which is $250. And your upside is, again, where the chart looks. So you say to yourself, well, five cents, $250 risk. I'm buying 5,000 shares. So the closer you are, okay, the closer you are to the entry, okay, the closer you are to the entry for the previous day's closing price, you can tear up or tear down and give yourself the biggest bang for your buck. Because remember, your max pain is always fixed. And what that does, it takes the complete emotional part of the trade out of the way. You don't need to, you don't need to forecast. You don't need to overthink. Oh, there's a buyer. There's a seller. There's a buyer. There's a seller. You can let the trade play out organically. Okay. You can let it out play organically. You don't need to overthink. You already know your max pain. And you're saying to yourself, what's the most amount of shares that I could buy within this interval that it's, if it goes, it's going to work very, very big. And if I'm down, you know what? I'm still down that 1%. So again, you buy the stock at five, the stock goes to 550 in two days, you're up to 2,500 bucks and your max pain again, your fixed max pain is still that $250. You could do that with Google. You could do that with Apple. So again, you have a $25,000 account. Maybe, you know, maybe $25,000 account is a little bit of a, of a hard stretch trade, trade in Google. But let's just say, you know, you say to yourself, okay, I'm risking Google. You know, I'm risking Google. You know, the previous day's high was, I just pick a number, 750, whatever it was. 750, the stock closed at 748, right? 748. What is the maximum shares I can buy, okay? And still have my fixed cost, my max pain that I could trade Google, not get shaken out and still said the same thing. So you say to yourself, well, I could buy roughly 100 shares of the stock. I'm risking two, two and a half points. And if the stock goes, and again, everybody knows how Google could run and goes on a multi-day run, you can make 20, 30 points on Google. So the, the best thing for new traders is, is stop overthinking. Because remember, there's only three parts of a trade. Just think about that. There's only three parts of the trade. It's the process, right? Your tier size and the result. There's nothing else, okay? There's nothing else. But if you can't intelligently, okay, understand your max pain, if you can't intelligently have the proper tier size, your result is already lost because all your emotions are already, you know, already engulfed in the first two, you know, the first two parts of that trade. So if you're, if you're buying a stock, right, if you're buying a stock and you can't sit in the trade for 10 cents, you're trading way too much size, right? Way too much size. Because I, I hear it all the time. Well, the stock is not going. Well, the stock is down seven cents against you. Yeah, but the stock is not going. And then 30 minutes later, the stock takes out the highs of the day. So tier size is very, very, very important. But more important, their tier size is having your fixed, you know, your fixed uh, max pain. So if you go into every single trade and you say to yourself, I'm a new trader, I'm going with that one percent. I'm going for that one percent maximum drawdown per position. Now all I need to do is figure out from the time that I'm entering the trade to my whatever my stop is, whether it's on the 15 minute chart, your your maximum drawdown to the downside, or on the daily chart from where the stock previously closed. I already know by max pain the dollar amount. Now I have to figure out the correlated number of shares, how much to buy, and then I give myself the biggest bang for my buck. Because again, it's all about risk defined trades. If you if you're risking a thousand dollars to make you know three hundred dollars, you're wrong. If you're risking five hundred dollars to make two hundred dollars, you're wrong. But if, if you if you put aside an allocated percentage, which is a one percent basis, which I always tell new traders to do, 
You already know your max pain. You can do the numbers very, very quickly in your head. What's the difference between the closing price and the entry in the next previous day? Give yourself the biggest bang for your buck. Let the stock run. Take your cash flow. Hold the runner. Use break even as you stop. Again, rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat. You're now about to hear from Sam Bankman-Fried, who featured on episode 177. Sam was an ETF trader at Jane Street prior to relocating to Hong Kong and starting his firm, Alameda Research. Alameda is a big volume quantitative trading firm solely focused on cryptocurrency markets. So what would you say is, what would you say is like the biggest risk as a liquidity provider in, in the crypto market? Like what's the biggest risk to you guys? Yeah, and, and I think that like risk can mean two different things. And we sort of split it up very much between these two. One sort of risk is like the risk that we just don't make much money. And, it, you know, to that extent, what are the risks? Well, obviously, more competition is one of them. Um, us just doing a mediocre job, I think, is probably the biggest. It's, you know, this is a really complicated, messy environment. And you can only do these trades if you get a lot of things right. And if we just kind of half-ass it and we're like, yeah, I don't know, it'd be nice to have this bank account, but it's a lot of work. Let's not bother. Now, all of a sudden, some great trade comes up, but you can only do it if you can send money to that bank account you, you didn't bother getting. It seems like a lot of work. And now you're not making money. So I think that's sort of maybe our biggest risk in terms of just like, why would we stop making money? The answer is we just are kind of lazy, you know, just don't do a good job and we'll stop making money. Like, it's not like we just have this machine we can turn on and it's going to put money forever. Like, we need to keep innovating, keep working hard, keep refining our systems um, keep refining our internal intuitions about what's going on and keep getting better every day in order to, to keep up and to keep growing. So that's one way to think about it. Then the other way to think about it is like, what's the base risk for us losing a lot of money? Um, and on that, well, there are a few big ones. I think exchange hacks are obviously one of these. And so, you know, we have to be really mindful of like, where are we putting our assets? Uh, you know, do we really want to have, you know, $20 million sitting on Quadriga. Like, yeah, that probably wouldn't have gone so well. So, you know, being smart about how much you're putting where, managing your risk. Um, and then there's another one of like, you know, do you just do something totally crazy? Do you decide, yeah, let's get long $200 million of Bitcoin. Hopefully it'll go up. Uh, well, it's fine if you got $10 billion and a mandate to take risk. But if you don't and Bitcoin crashes, you just lost a lot of money. And so I think we kind of think about this, you know, the the large risks as like one of them is like somehow like, you know, an exchange loses our assets. And the other is like we just put on positions that we have no business putting on that are way too risky and we get unlucky and lose to them. Taking us out here on the best of risk management part one is Anthony Crudelli. Anthony's an ex-pit trader of E-mini S&P Futures and he's also a budding podcaster. He is the host of Futures Radio Show. What was it that, what did you change? Like, why did it all of a sudden things start clicking for you? Were you doing anything different? Like, what was, was there anything noticeably or significantly different that you were implementing? My risk management. I became extremely efficient at managing risk. And how did I do that? Well, what I started to figure out was okay start my position small goes if, if it starts to go my way i would potentially add 
if it started to go back against me, I would scratch. I basically would always start my position at 25 to, you know, maybe 35% of what I was going to sell. So let's just say I was going to sell three. I'd sell one, then I'd sell one, then I'd sell one. Before I would just sell three and then I'd buy three. So what I started to do was basically get in small at my initial area and then I would be quick to add, quick to cover. And I started to be able to massage my areas. We basically was what I was doing. So if I wanted to sell one or buy one at a specific level, I'd buy one. I'd watch it sit there a little bit. Then I'd buy another one. Then I'd buy another one. Then I'd go my way. And then I'd sell one. And it would sit there. And then I would sell another one out. And then I'd keep one. And I would try to – I'd work that. So what I started to do was once I started getting really comfortable doing that, I started with two. Then I went to four. Then I went to six. And I started testing myself when I was up money. So what I started to do was when I was up money, I would start to press a little. I'd press a little bit. And then the next day, I'd press a little bit more. You know, I'd be up 800, I'd risk 300, go up 500. I'd be up 900, I'd risk 400, I'd go up 500. You know, I'd be up 600, I'd risk 100, I'd go up 500. I'd always try to go up 500 bucks. Then one day, you hit them for 1,200, and you're like, hmm, I got 700 bucks of risk now. So what I would do was, now my downside was only 500 bucks a day. So if I hit that 500, I'm done. But when I started getting up more than 500, I'd play with that money and I started to press. And then I'd press a little bit more. So then all of a sudden I'd trade a little bit bigger. So when I was hot, I'd be pressing. When I was cold, I'd, if, I, if I started off my winning, my first trade was a loser, it would only be on a third of my position. So when I was finally getting into a full position, it would already be partially my way. So I learned how to scratch or get out of a portion of that position. And I would always constantly keep, keep myself small, get back small. Uh, and I did that, and I was able to escalate that rather quickly. Um, I would say about – I would say within – I don't remember exactly, but let's just call it within two months. I was already – I went from trading – I typically traded under five lots majority of that time prior to that. And I went from like 10,000 – I remember it was like 20-something thousand uh, just by trading like between four and six lots. I was just basically, basically making 500 to 700 uh, on a, in a day over about a month and a half. And I remember getting my account just over 20 grand. Uh, and I was like, okay. And remember, I wasn't taking money out because I was working on the floor. I was finally able to build it. So what I started to do was I started just up my size a little bit. So I remember within that span now, I had worked my way up. I did my first 50 lot. And I remember my first 50 lot. And it was just like I bought five. I bought five more. Then I bought 10 more. And these were all within a couple of ticks. Then I went one tick my way again. And then I bought 20. And I was like, okay, now I'm long 40. And then I bought 10 more. I remember seeing it long 50. I'm like, if this thing doesn't go my way one tick right away, I'm going to turn around and sell it. It went one tick my way, two ticks against me. Boom, I turned around and sold 50. And I was like, okay, it wasn't so bad. I did it. I felt like a sense of like, I can do this. I can trade 50 lots. You know, I didn't go right back into it, but I continued to test the limits to see how I would feel. So I started like playing with my emotions. Okay, 50. Then all of a sudden when I had 50 on, 10 feel, felt more comfortable, more, more controllable. And that's how I slowly built it up. And, you know, you know, eventually I was able to build it up to, to some real size. And, um, you know, but that's, that's how it started. I've got one last question for you. And that's pretty much, do you have any final words or anything you'd like to pass on to other traders listening? I know, you know, you've obviously been through quite a roller coaster journey yourself. Are there any lessons you'd like to pass on that might be helpful to anyone listening to this podcast right now? 
I think the most important thing for traders to, to, to really understand is loss. I think it's the hardest thing. I think that people come into this like myself with expectations to make money. And I know from a lot of your guests, because I've listened to your shows in the past, which are great, by the way, I think that a lot of good traders will say this. But the one thing that I, I believe is most important is is understanding how to manage your risk. That's what changed my life. That's how I changed everything. And having a set of rules that are like instincts to you, uh, not having a set of rules that you have to look at on a piece of paper. Like I'm a firm believer that, especially in the futures markets, you can't be going back and trying to, you have too many things in your head, you're going to struggle. Uh, learn how to manage your risk understand that loss is part of the business and you will be able to heal from your loss. I come in every day and I know how much I'm on a risk per day. I know what I'm going to risk per trade. I know how much I'm going to risk per month. And at that point, the worst thing that happened is guess what? I lose that risk. So I already know it going into it. So that just, it clears through everything. You know, it, it helps me focus on what I'm doing and it helps you focus on what's important, the market. I've had so many young traders come to me and the one thing that they just can't get past is when they say, well, what should I be focusing on, Anthony? And I'm like, protecting the downside. I said, you need to learn how to lose before you could win. And people literally look at me and they think I'm crazy by saying, learn how to lose before you can win because nobody comes in the mindset, nobody comes into trading with the mindset that I need to learn how to lose. It just doesn't even sound right like because nobody wants to. But when you go into it with that mindset, something changes. At least it did for me. That when I came in knowing that um, my number one goal was to manage risk, keep a very small uh, instinctual set of trading rules, I was able to free up all of the emotion and go after the market. You've reached the end of this episode of Chat with Traders, but rest assured there are more episodes loaded with real market insight and zero hype on the way soon. So to stay updated with each great new release, subscribe to the podcast and iTunes, and we'd love it if you'd leave a rating and review. We'll catch you next time on Chat with Traders. Chat with Traders.